0: We have your book of Mark with you this morning, uh, you can turn to page 34. We're going to be starting in chapter 6 today. If you're new here, you don't have a book of Mark, but what you can do is you can raise your hand and one of our ushers will get one of those to you. Uh, what, we, what we're what we doing is we're going through the book of Mark and really studying what Jesus taught, uh, how it changes our life, and we believe that scripture and the words of Jesus are so powerful. They're active, they're alive, they have the ability and power to change who we are at our very core. So we invested in buying a bunch of these so that you all can follow along. And I actually told the text, don't put the scriptures up on the screen because I want you to read it in your Bible. I want you to see it in your Bible and highlight and circle things and write question marks and if I bore you, you can doodle or whatever else you want. But uh, if you need one of these, you can go ahead and raise your hand. One of our ushers will get one of those to you. Last week, what we were looking at was in chapter 5, Jesus is demonstrating just how great he is. He starts out in chapter one, we read about him saying, you know, believe the gospel, the good news that your king has come, that God has come to restore all things and now as a result of that, your reality has changed, everything about you is different. Come follow after me. Believe in me, repent of your sins and then follow after me because he wants to lead you into restoration, restoration of your relationship with God, restoration and relationships with other people, a restoration of all things. That's what Jesus came to do. And then he starts talking about, like, you got to follow me. You can't just stay here. You can't just believe in me. Because if you just believe in me but don't follow me, you're going to stay messed up. You're going to stay with all of the the bondage and all of the sin issues and everything else going on in your life. But if you start following after me, I'm going to lead you into restoration. I'm going to lead you into peace. I'm going to lead you into joy. I'm going to lead you into purpose. But you have to follow after me to walk into those things. And it's hard to do that. It takes an incredible amount of faith for us to follow after Jesus because first of all, we have to believe that he is God. Um, My wife works in mental health and there's a lot of people who think they're God, it turns out a whole lot of people. A lot of people have claimed to be God. What sets Jesus apart is that he actually is God. But it takes faith to be able to believe that and to be able to follow after him. It takes faith to follow after Jesus because the life that you've created for yourself, a lot of times you created it because you liked it and there's appetites and desires that you have for the life that you've created. But Jesus is going to be calling you to walk away from some of those things that you really like. And it might not make sense. You might say, Jesus, where are you leading me? I don't understand. That's going to take a big step for me to be able to follow after you in this. It takes faith to believe that Jesus is going to lead us into goodness. That his plan is never to hurt us, but his plan is always to restore us, to make us more like him, to make us more like the person that he created us to be. It takes faith to be able to do that. And that word faith, what it really means is it's a trust. It's Jesus, I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you're all-powerful. I trust that I really can follow after you and that you will lead me into truth. When I don't understand, when I don't have all of the, the questions answered, Jesus, I can still trust you enough to follow after you. And then in chapter five, it started showing us You know, the reason we can trust Jesus is because he is so good and also because he is so God. He's so powerful. The disciples are following after him and following after Jesus means that they end up in this boat. And as they're in this boat, a storm comes up and the waves are crashing over it and they're all freaking out thinking they're going to die. Like, Jesus, like, don't you even care that we're perishing? And Jesus just stands up and he's like, like, wind, shut up, waves die down. Disciples, like, what's wrong with you? Like, are you, why are you afraid? Why do you have so little faith? Don't you understand who I am? As long as you're following after me, as long as I'm in this boat with you, you're never perishing. And then he goes and he comes, they get off the boat and this naked guy runs up to them. It's full of demons. Like, that's, I'd put me back in the storm, Jesus. Like, I've got a thing about naked people possessed by demons coming up to me. I just don't like it. And instead of being scared and afraid of it, Jesus shows that not only is he more powerful than the storms, but he's more powerful than all of the forces of Satan combined. And he's able to kick the demons out of this man. He's restored to his right mind and he's sitting there and he's dressed. Thank God. That's like one of the first steps. Following after Jesus. Get your clothes on, people. He's following after Jesus' clothed, and he's, Jesus says, Now go back to your city and tell everybody this great work that I've done in your life. Jesus can take the most demonized person in the world and turn them into the greatest disciple. Jesus is that powerful. No demonic force can stop him. He comes into a, a woman who's sick for 12 years, she's been bleeding. For 12 years, she's been seeking medical help and spending all of her money and there's no help. She just keeps getting worse. But she comes up to Jesus because she believes that Jesus is able to heal her. So she comes up and touches him and she's healed. And Jesus turns to her and says, your faith has made you well. You had so much trust in me that you were willing to come to the village that I was at. You had so much trust in me that you were willing to follow me. You had so much trust in me that you were willing to just like barge up against me and touch me because you believed that nothing was impossible for me and that I was the one who could heal you. He's like, yes, teach that to my disciples because they're still scared in the boat. This woman got who Jesus was. This woman had a faith and a trust in him that led her to follow after him. And then Jesus shows that he's even greater than death. Not only is he greater than the storms, not only is he greater than the demonic or sickness, but Jesus is greater than death itself. When he goes to the little girl and the parents are saying, our daughter's dying, you have to come and heal her. And then a servant comes and says, don't bother Jesus anymore, your daughter has died. That's a tough one. If there's a place where your trust in Jesus could falter, it's when your kid dies this is what Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. It looks like you are at the worst day of your life. It looks like you are at the hardest circumstance this world can throw at you and that is the death of a child is the hardest thing that you can face in this life. But Jesus says, even in this place, I'm calling you to believe. Even in this place, I'm calling you to trust me. Even in this place of brokenheartedness and impossibility, I'm calling you to follow after me. And he goes and we know that he reaches into death and he pulls the little girl back into life. Jesus is greater than even death. Why can we trust Jesus? Because he's God. He's greater than the storms. He's greater than the demonic. He's greater than sickness. He's greater than even death. And he's good. He's so good that he would come to us, that he would come to the brokenhearted, that he would come to the lost, that he would come to the sick, that he would come to the hurting, humble himself to serve us, humble himself to come to the place where we were in rebellion against him and in bondage to sin and say, follow after me. Believe I'm the king, I've come for you to set you free. Believe in me, repent of your sins, and now follow me because I'm gonna work restoration inside of your life. You can trust me because I'm God and because I'm so good. And he's demonstrated both of those over and over again. That's why we trust Jesus. That's why we follow after him. That's why we say yes, even when everything inside of us screams no. It's why we decide to let go of things that we love dearly. It's why we choose to embrace the unknown. Is because we know that God is so good, that Jesus' heart is for us, and that he leads us only into restoration. But here's what happens. is After he gets done raising this little girl to life, just like Jesus met people at the place of faith and said, your faith has made you well. Just believe in me. Don't be scared. All of these things. He's building up the trust and the faith in them. Now he goes back to his hometown right after this. So it begins in Mark chapter 6, uh, verse 1. It says, He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? And then he went about among the villages teaching. See, what's happened for Jesus is he's doing his tour of proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating it through miraculous signs and wonders and calling people to follow after him. And now he's going home. For 30 years he's been in this town, living with everybody else. They all know him, his family. They all know Jesus. But he leaves and he's going around. He's got his disciples. He's doing all this stuff. And now he's coming home. There's been nobody greater that's ever come out of his hometown than Jesus. Like you say that about any town, there's never been anybody that came out of any town that's greater than Jesus and he's coming to them. And it says that he wants to do mighty works. Uh, Think about the stuff that he says. It says that he only could do, sorry, like stuff's falling off of me. (laughs) Let me fix that real quick. Uh, It says that he couldn't do any mighty works except laying his hands on a few people and healing them. Doesn't that sound like a pretty mighty work to you? Like, Jesus is coming, and he's laying hands on people, and he's healing them, and he's disappointed because he wanted to do more. These are his people. This is his family. You know who I get the best gifts for at Christmas? My people. My family. Jesus is coming home to his people. He wants to do something special. He wants to do what he considers to be mighty works inside of them. Not just, like, laying hands on people and healing them, which I think is awesome, But he wants to do something mighty in his own town. And this God, who's greater than the storms, couldn't be stopped by the storms, couldn't be stopped by the demonic, couldn't be stopped by sickness, and couldn't be stopped even by death, was finally stopped by one thing. And it was unbelief. Jesus came to his hometown to do mighty works. And it says that he couldn't do them. Because of the unbelief of the people. Unbelief is a limit to what Jesus can do in your life. Unbelief is a limit to what God can do in me. Now that's not saying that if you don't get a Mercedes when you go home today, it's because you didn't have faith. Like, I'm not a prosperity guy. You have to have faith in the things of God, not in the fleshly desires that you have. Like, there's a big difference between those things. We have faith in who Jesus is and we have faith in what it is that Jesus is capable of. Jesus is capable of the miraculous. There is nothing, as we see, as Jesus is doing ministry with his disciples, nothing can stop him. No storm, no demon, no sickness, not even death can keep Jesus from doing what he came to do as long as the people trusted him. But as soon as he comes into a place where the people don't have trust in him, he says he can't do anything. It says that the people were actually offended by him. Have you ever gone to your hometown? This is what's funny about hometowns. When you're growing up, they're like, when you're getting ready to go to college, you're like, hey, you remember where you're from. You go out there and you make a difference in this world. People people will know about Delton, Michigan because of you, Jeremy. Like, nobody ever said that, but that's the attitude. Like, people believe in you when you're leaving your hometown. Go out there and do something. And then when you come back, everybody's like, think you're better than me? What? Like, you don't have seven cars in your yard. You think you're better than me? I'm like, no, I'm not saying anything. Like, that's what my, my hometown's like. But when you go home, what happens, is if you start doing something significant in your life, the last people are gonna recognize it and accept it as the people that are closest to you. Why? Because for 30 years, they knew Jesus for 30 years, there was nothing special about Jesus. For 30 years, I mean, they were playing games with him as a kid. They were working with him. They saw him grow up. They knew his brothers and sisters. I love that. They're like, where does this guy get this wisdom and this power? Like, come on, we know his family. Like, there's no brother of James that's going to be God. Like, there's no way that happens. You guys know James? Like, he is a hellraiser. And so they're not able to receive anything from Jesus. It's like the parent effect. When you were a kid... Your parents would tell you, like, real wisdom. Hey, don't touch the stove. It's hot. You'll get burned. And what does your teenage heart say? You're old. You don't understand me. You were never in love. I'm going to touch the stove if I want. You meet some stranger on the street, and they're like, hey, don't touch the stove. You'll get burned. And you're like, oh, that's a good word. Like, writing that down. (laughs) Oh, that's a good word. Let me sit at your feet, stranger. It's like the exact same thing that your parents said, but because there's no familiarity, now you're going to accept it from someone else. When you get familiar with someone, it can be so hard to accept things from them. My wife is the person I am most familiar with in this world and it can be so hard to accept wisdom from her because I know her. My best friend that used to set fires with me when we were kids, like, he's an idiot, right? We were idiots together, but he said, like, Pyro Boy says something, I'm like, oh, that's good. My wife says something, I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. Let me Google that and see. Because familiarity can breed contempt inside of us. Familiarity can breed offense inside of us. Jesus, who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? We know you. We saw you for 30 years. You didn't heal anybody. We saw you for 30 years. You never raised anybody from the dead. You might have everybody else fooled, but you don't have me fooled. And their unbelief became something that kept them from being able to do the mighty works that Jesus wanted to do inside of them. Where's your faith? Where's your trust this morning? Are you like the woman who was sick that knew if I can just get to the feet of Jesus, that's gonna be okay? Are you like the hometown crowd that you've heard about Jesus, but you've lost your ability to believe that he is the God of the miraculous, that he's the God that we can follow after? Sometimes it happens in different ways. Well, the Bible says I'm supposed to do this, but I really don't like that. Jesus, I'll believe you for this stuff, but this thing, like, no, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it my way. That's a lack of belief. That's a lack of trust in Jesus. This is, so when someone wrongs you, you see this all the time. Someone wrongs you, someone hurts you, we have to get vengeance. We have to pay them back. They have to pay the price. That's what our culture says. Jesus says you forgive your enemies. Jesus says you bless your enemies and those who curse you. You give to those who would take from you. Oh, I don't like that part, Jesus. Jesus, save me from my sins, but this part of the Bible I don't like, or the sexual ethic of the kingdom of God. No, 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 Jesus, I don't like that. Jesus, I'll trust you for some of these things, but I have unbelief that I can really trust you, God, with my time, with my finances, with my sexuality, with my pride, with my greed, with my ability to forgive other people. Jesus, I can trust you in these areas, but I can't trust you in these ones. What happens is you become offended by Jesus, oftentimes because of familiarity. Unbelief is stirred up inside of your heart, and you're not able to follow after him anymore. You're not able to see Jesus do the mighty works inside of you that he wants to do inside of you because there's nothing in this world that can stop him, not storms, not demons, not sickness, not even death. The only thing that can stop Jesus from doing mighty works inside of your heart is your unbelief. And the only thing that you need to see Jesus do mighty works inside of you is faith. That's it. He's just calling you to believe, to trust in him, And when you do that, he will begin to do mighty works. And here's the thing. Jesus is going to do stuff. His kingdom is going to expand. It says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord one day. Nothing is going to stop the kingdom of God. But you can stop yourself from being used as a vessel of honor in his kingdom. This is what happens. He goes to his hometown wants to do something special with them. Do a mighty work. They reject him. So what does it say? It says that he goes off to some other towns and villages. All right. I invited you into this thing. Your own belief is keeping you from it. Best of luck. I'm going over here. I'm going to use these people. And that's exactly what Jesus does. It picks up in, in chapter uh, 6, verse 7. It says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but uh, to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. I was going to go and use my hometown people to do this. The people that knew me for 30 years were going to come and I was going to empower them and send them out to do this thing and to make disciples. They didn't believe me, so I know what? I'm going to use these 12 guys. Because here's what God will do. God will always use the faithful. Every single time, God does mighty works with the faithful. Not the qualified Not the people that have the best degree, not the people that have the most experience, not the people that are the smartest or the brightest or the best looking. Jesus is looking for people who are faithful, people who will put their full trust in him, so that when he says, follow after me, you will leave everything else behind to follow after him because you believe that he's worthy of following after. When you run into crazy stuff, when Jesus says, All right, now here's the deal. You've been following me around and you see me do all the stuff, now I'm giving you the ability to cast out demons and to heal people. I'm telling you to go and preach the stuff that I've been preaching. You think that took some faith? And they've never cast a demon out of anybody. They've never healed a single person. They've never preached a sermon. But all of a sudden, Jesus is like, go and start doing it. That took faith for them to be able to walk into that. Jesus even says not everybody's going to like it. Like, you're going to go into some places and people are not going to receive you and shake the dust off your sandals when you leave and go somewhere else. You're going to be rejected as you do this, but still I'm calling you to go. All right, Jesus. That takes faith. Jesus, I'm going to trust you. Jesus says, don't take any money with you. Don't take extra clothing with you. Don't, like, like, Jesus, what can I take with me? Nothing. And the reason why is because Jesus wants you to know that he alone is your provision. That he alone is the one that's going to be the one that makes everything happen for you. You can't make it happen on your own. Jesus is sending you out. And this is the model of church. Like In in the Western world, we've gotten this model of church really weird. This is what Jesus does. He calls people to follow him. He makes 12 disciples. And then he empowers them and sends them out and says, now you go out there and you do the stuff that I'm doing. And they come back like, Jesus, it's insane. Like People are getting healed and demons are getting cast out and all that kind of stuff. And, And what happens is it grows. It went from 12 people and then there's like 72 people. There's hundreds of people. Because what Jesus is doing is he's gathering together and then he sends them out. They go out there. They do the work of the ministry. People put their faith and trust in Jesus and then they come back in together. And Jesus says, all right, now come away with me. Let's rest up. I'm going to disciple you some more and then we're going to go back out again. That's the way that God designed church to be. What's happened though in America is, is that we've decided there are people who are clergy and then there's laity. Clergy is all the people. They're the professionals. They're on staff. They have the education. They have the formal training and all that kind of stuff. They're the, the men of God and the women of Jesus Christ. You know, like all that kind of stuff. And all the, everybody else is just like the peasants out there. Your job is to come on Sunday. Your job is to do the canned food drive. Like, you know, like just like make the bar really low. But you let us, the professionals, take care of all of the work. Your job is you invite your unsaved friends into church and I'll use my anointing to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel to them and men will kneel and women will weep and everybody's going to get saved. Like, that's the way that we viewed church. I just got to invite my friends to church. I just got to invite my friends to church. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to go out there and invite all of your friends to come hang out with me. Says, you go out there and you preach the gospel. You go out there and you cast out demons. You go out there and you pray for the sick for healing. And then after they decide to follow me, well, now they're going to come back to me and we're going to rest up and we're going to disciple you some more and then we're going to send you back out again. That's the way Jesus created church to be. Every single one of us are a priest. It's not that I'm a priest and you're not a priest. We are all priests together. We have different roles uh, that we do here on Sunday morning, but we all have the same role when we leave here on Sunday is that we are priests, we're apostles or disciples that are sent out on mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and to demonstrate it to the world that's around us. Then what we do is after people decide to follow Jesus, we all come back together on Sunday morning, we spend some time with Jesus and we get refreshed and we get stirred up and we're trained and equipped to go out and to make more disciples. And it's this constant rhythm of we're gathering together because we've decided to follow Jesus and then we go back out to proclaim the mysteries of Jesus and the love of God and the way of repentance of sins and all of that kind of stuff. That's the model that God created for the church. It's what you see in most of the world except for in America where we're like, okay, like preacher boy, you do all the work and like there's been this divide of words like, hey, you guys aren't as good as me. Let me do it. I can't trust you guys to interpret the scripture to anybody. You don't have a degree. It was never supposed to be like that. I would say this experiment's gone pretty horribly in the Western world. We need you all to be priests. My job is to train and to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's what I do. That's the job of the paid staff. We're here to train and we're here to equip. But you all are the ones who are sent out, anointed, empowered by the Holy Spirit, commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to preach the good news. You're the faithful that God is sending out into a world that's hurt and that's broken and lost, into your workplaces, into your families, into your social circles, wherever you might go. You are commissioned by Jesus Christ himself and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to go and proclaim the gospel, call people to repentance, to heal the sick, to cast out demons. See Jesus do great works inside of you and then bring them back in together as a family On Sunday mornings, to get refreshed and equipped to go back out and do it again. One of my pet peeves is because, like, I get this. Like, there's sometimes on Sunday morning, you're like, can I just sleep? I'm tired. I just feel like I need to binge watch Netflix on Sunday morning because it's been a really hard week. Like, I get that temptation. When I go on vacation, I was talking with Anna about this a couple weeks ago. I was like, how many, in the 13 years, there'll be 13 years of marriage in August, and I said, how many times have we not been in church on a Sunday? I think there was one time because we it was a Sunday morning and we left for our honeymoon on a Sunday morning. And that was the only time in 13 years when I haven't been in the hospital for surgery or she hasn't had a baby like on a Saturday night. We've, we've skipped church for that. But we've been in church for 13 years of marriage except for one time. It was because we were traveling for our honeymoon, which was a good excuse. And I'm not saying that to be like, look at me. I'm saying that because I need it. This is the place where I'm refreshed. It says that strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. What we want to do is when we get tired and when we get weary, we're like, I need to go fishing and fishing's great. You need to do that. It's like, I need to watch Netflix. If it's like a good show, all right. There's a lot of really dumb shows on there. Whatever it might be, there are things that do bring some like, comfort and some happiness to you. But if you skip out on the place where the power of God's able to refresh you and renew you as you wait on him, like Satan has deceived you into skipping out on the greatest way that God's going to energize you, the greatest way that God's going to fill you back up to send you back out on mission to make disciples. Church is awesome. Even if my sermon stinks, church is still awesome because Jesus is still here and Jesus is still so good and every time I raise my hands in worship from the first note that's played even if it's a wrong one that I played it's like Jesus is here and he's bringing refreshing to us as we wait upon him and we're being trained and equipped to go out and to do the thing that Jesus has commissioned us all to do don't skip church so back to the real sermon Then the apostles returned to Jesus, verse 37, and told him all the things they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. That's, you know, spending time with Jesus like we're doing right now. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. There are so many ministry pressures, so many people that need a move of God that if you let it, it will destroy you. They weren't even eating. And Jesus says, you gotta take a break. It's great that you're making disciples, but now you just need to come and be with me. Now you just need to come and let me refresh you. Says now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot there from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when he went ashore he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things, and when it grew late his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. Jesus who just said, go out there, don't take any money, don't take any extra clothes, don't take a purse with you. Now Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. And you can imagine how the disciples are feeling about this. Like, Jesus, do you remember that you, we just got back from like shaking our dust off and having no clothes. We're wearing the same shirt we left in Jesus. And so they say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? They're being sarcastic. They're being jerks. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. And then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Jesus, I mean, this is crazy. Here's what I want you to understand. There'll be some times in life that Jesus gives you real clear directions about what you're supposed to do. Like, go out, I'm anointing you so that you can heal the sick, so you can preach the gospel. I'm sending you out in twos. Jesus gave them a strategy, all of that kind of stuff, and very specifically, what I want you to do. Cast out demons, heal people, preach the gospel, and then come back. They knew what to do in that one. Okay, we got that. Then there's other times where you're going to see a need. Just be like, man, these people are hungry we got to do something about this. And Jesus will say, all right, feed them. But how, Jesus? What have you got? Jesus didn't give them clear instructions on what they were supposed to do. The disciples saw a need. The disciples saw a ministry opportunity. And they almost walked away from it because, like, hey, we can't do this. Like, Jesus, send them away. Jesus doesn't send people away. He calls them in. So Jesus says this, and this is sometimes what we have to begin to understand is that when we're getting ready for God to do a mighty miraculous work in our life, it always starts with a need that you recognize, and that leads you to this question is, what do you have? What have you got? You see all these hungry people, what have you got? I want you to feed them. That's what I've called you to do. Like, Jesus, this is impossible. Well, just what do you have? So they go through the whole crowd. The whole crowd only has five loaves of fish, five loaves of bread, and two fish. It's been a long morning. Like, what's wrong with these people? Nobody brought any food with them. Like my wife has that much in her purse alone. But nobody in this entire crowd has that. That's it. Jesus, we found five loaves and two fish, and Peter tried to eat one of them. (laughs) All right, what does Jesus say? Give it to me now. Jesus, this isn't enough. I know, I'm not asking you to have enough, I'm asking for what you have. And here's a a pro tip you'll never have enough. Never in the history of the world has anyone ever had enough for the mighty work that God wanted to do inside of them. It has never happened. So many of us, we never even start. We disqualify ourselves before we even start because we look at the problem and we say, that's too big. I can't do that. I don't have enough. Jesus doesn't say, do you have enough? He says, what do you have? So they bring him everything they have. All of it. Not enough, but I'm giving you everything that I have, Jesus. And that's the second thing we always have to do. We take everything we have and we give it to Jesus. Because... Everything that we have on our own is limited by our own power. I can't multiply five loaves and two fish. They're limited to my power. Their ability to provide is limited to my own power. I can't do anything with them. Everything you hold on to is limited by yourself. But everything that you give to Jesus is blessed. Everything. Every second of your life that you give to Jesus is blessed. Every thought, every act of obedience, everything you give, everything that you give to Jesus is miraculously blessed by him. This is what Jesus does. He takes what's not enough, the five loaves and the two fish, and they're probably looking at him like, oh my gosh, this is so stupid. We're going to look like fools. Jesus blesses what's given to him, breaks it, and then begins to pass it out. And it just keeps going. And it just keeps going. The miracle is that every time someone comes to take something out, it's miraculously replenished. People are grabbing bread out. As soon as they pull it out, there's more there. Same with the fish. There's no end to God's provision for his people. Every time they're taking something out, every single time Jesus continues to replenish, Jesus continues to bless everything that they gave to him. And it says that it got to the point where everybody's been fed. It said 5,000 men and there was women and children there too but they stopped at men like 5,000 men eat a lot. I have a little man in my house, he's six and he eats like you wouldn't believe. Jesus is able to take five loaves and two fish, what's not even close enough for around 20,000 people, most scholars would say, and feed all of them. And there's 12 baskets left over. Do you know why there were 12 baskets left over? It's because there were 12 tribes of Israel. That was representative of the people or the family of God. What God was doing is saying, hey, there's more than enough for everybody. Every single person in this family, every single person that follows after me and has put their trust and faith in me, there's enough for them. I have the ability to work a miracle and continue to work miracles and do mighty works in their life that will never run out. There is enough of Jesus for every single person on the face of this earth. And here's the cool thing is that after we give it to Jesus and he blesses it, we get to facilitate the miracle. We don't do the miracle. We pray, we ask, we give to Jesus. I've never healed anybody. I've prayed for healing and Jesus has healed. I've never healed anybody. I've never cast a demon out myself. I've prayed and Jesus has come and done it. But I get to facilitate the miracle. Jesus could have made Lunchables appear on everybody's lap on a little plate for the 20,000 people. He could have done that, right? But thank God that he invited us into the process. Thank God that his strategy for saving the world was to set captives free, to call daughters and to call sons to himself who have been freed, who are walking into restoration miraculously because of our trust in Jesus and that he loves us and he trusts us so much that he makes us a part of the family business. And we bring stuff to him, we give him everything we have, he blesses it, does the miracle, but we get to be the facilitators. It's like when I was a kid, it would have been easier for my dad to fix the car every single time on his own. Every single time. But you know what he did? He let me come out there and hold the flashlight. I have never fixed a car in my life, but I got to hold the flashlight. I got to hand him the wrench, usually the wrong one. Wrench, Jeremy. Here's a screwdriver. A wrench, a hammer. Do you know what a wrench is? No, Dad, I'm just holding the flashlight. <laughs> still, Dad, I still don't know. But God invites us in. And actually, he's limited himself to include us. Jesus has married himself to the church. He has married his plan for restoration and redemption to the church. He's called us and he's commissioned us to be the ones who filled with faith, filled with trust in him, now follow after him, anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, commissioned by Jesus to go out and to proclaim the gospel, to give everything that we have to him, to see him bless it, and to see him do a miracle. And we get to facilitate it. How good is God that he lets us do that? But we have to be a people of faith. Uh, I have a friend who I was talking to this week. He pastors a church. And we're always doing things, Hey, what are you teaching on? And, and like that's small talk for pastors. So I told him, he's like, oh man, I, I, there's this guy in my church. It's this great story. And I was like, tell me more, you know. And so he told me there's a guy in his church that's a divorce lawyer. I like, Oh, this is going to be a good story. I can already tell. This is going to be a good story. But before he started coming to his church, he was a divorce lawyer and he ended up divorcing his wife. And so here's another little hint for you all. If you're dating a divorce lawyer, get out. It's probably, that's kind of what they do for a living and they're good at it. But he's not a Christian. He's not following Jesus and eventually runs into trouble in his marriage and he's like, "The, the best way and the easiest way out is to divorce my wife. So he divorces his wife. Three years later, uh, comes to my buddy's church. Someone tells him about Jesus. He's at a broken place in his life. So like the disciples that were sent out, someone began to minister to him and his brokenness outside of church. Tell him about what Jesus had done in his life and how good Jesus was and Jesus' ability to heal his broken heart even though he had ruined his life with what he had done, that Jesus was able to put the pieces back together. So he comes to the church. He gets involved. starts making steps to follow after Jesus. You know, small faith, but a little bit of faith is all you need. A little bit of pure faith and trust in Jesus. So he starts thinking, well, what am I supposed to do now that I'm a divorce lawyer? This is kind of a a contradiction here. I'm following after Jesus, believe in marriage, it's a covenant, and I spend my entire living breaking that covenant for people. And so he gets this idea. And every time someone comes in, every couple that comes in to get a divorce, he listens to what they have to say and what they want to do. And he starts asking them things like, do you know what the greatest wealth-building tool is in this world? It's marriage. They start talking about how good marriage is. And then he'll end the conversation by saying, all right, here's the deal. We can sign these papers. We can get the the process going. And this is the fee for it. But what I'd really rather do is take you out to dinner or for a drink and and tell you about what Jesus did in my marriage. Because what happened was after three years of divorce, after he made a decision to follow Jesus, He felt convicted about the way he had wronged his wife and he went back to her and he apologized and the marriage was reconciled and they got remarried. So now these couples are a part of my buddy's church because they went in for a divorce and this guy recognized what he had. I have a platform with people whose marriages are bottoming out. And he decided to give that to Jesus. Jesus, use this job that I have for your glory. And not every couple does by any means, but there are several couples that are at my buddy's church now that went to this lawyer to get divorced and he took them out for dinner or for a drink. And the miraculous testimony of the way God reconciled his marriage was able to come back from divorce has led them to the place where they've put their faith in Jesus and their marriages were healed and reconciled. You know, Jesus can do that with you might be a teacher, might be a coach, you might do admin work somewhere, might be a doctor, might be a stay-at-home mom, you might drive for Uber, like who knows? And you're sitting there saying, Jesus, what can I do for you? I want you to do a mighty work in me, but like, what can you do? Jesus says, what do you have? And will you give that to me? Her divorce lawyer, Will you give me that so that I can use it, so that I can work miracles? And it is a miracle anytime someone doesn't get divorced, especially when they go to a divorce lawyer and the divorce lawyer talks them out of it. Jesus works miracles with everything that we give to him because he's able to bless it. Do you have a faith that God is so powerful that he can use even you? Do you have a faith and a trust in God that is so powerful that you believe that He has commissioned you to proclaim the gospel, that He has put the Holy Spirit inside of you—the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do all of the miraculous works—that that's the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, and there's no shortage of power. Are you able to trust Jesus that He can use your job, that He can use your family? that he can use you in your social interactions, that everywhere you go, that God can use you to make disciples and to bring people into this beautiful family that he's building for himself? Because if you have unbelief, he won't be able to do it in you. But if you believe, if you put your trust in Jesus, not in you, not in what you have, not in what you're capable of doing, if you will put your trust in Jesus, he will use everything that you give him. And he will bless it. And he will lead you from that place of bondage into the place of restoration. And he's going to use you to bring a whole bunch of people along with you. Would you stand with me this morning? This morning, you might be here and you're not following after Jesus. You don't have a trust in him that's led you to follow after him. Do you know that this church is here is because God spoke to us and said to feed you? That this church exists because the power of God is present and able to meet every need that you have? this church exists because other people have gone all in and given everything they have so that Jesus can bless it And create a place where this morning you could experience the power and the presence of God and hear about his love for you and how great he is and what he can do inside of your life. This morning you might be one of those that needs to be fed and Jesus is calling you to put your faith in him, to believe the gospel, to believe that Jesus is God, to believe that he came to restore you, that he went to the cross and died for your sins. Everything that separated you from God has been removed by the blood of Jesus. He died and he rose again giving us the hope of our future resurrection and giving us the hope of new life here and now. And he stands before the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, Follow after me. I see you in your brokenness. I see you in your hurt. I see you even in your doubts and your questions and unbelief. But I love you and I'm calling you to follow after me. I want to heal your heart. I want to lead you into life everlasting. I want to lead you into relationship with me. He's speaking that to you this morning because he loves you and he's pursuing you and all you have to do is respond and say, Jesus, I believe from this day forward, I'm going to follow after you. It's that simple. It's all about what Jesus has already done. Now we just begin to follow after him because we can trust him. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is stirring up faith inside of you to believe that he's able to do something, some some mighty works, some greater works inside of your life. Where maybe there's been some unbelief inside of your heart but Jesus is speaking to it. He's kicking down the unbelief, he's tearing away the cold and stony parts of your heart where doubt resides and he's calling you to trust in me, to give everything to him. Everything you have, he's saying, use it for my glory. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as a priest or someone that could go out and make disciples, but it's exactly what Jesus has made you to be. It's exactly what Jesus has made you to do. He's called you to be light in darkness. He's called you to be salt. He's called you to walk in his anointing and in his power to see his kingdom come and his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. He's called you to be the voice that proclaims liberty to the captives. If you need greater faith for that this morning, you'd be so bold as to raise your hand and say, Jesus, would you do something to me? I want the greater works in my life. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Jesus, we believe you. God, destroy our doubt because, God, we're coming after you and we want greater faith for what you have for us. Jesus, I pray over every hand that was raised. Jesus, I pray that you would come and that there would be something miraculous that happens inside of them. Jesus, I pray that you would open their eyes to see everything that you've given them, every relationship, God, that they would see every platform, every area of influence that you've given to them. Jesus, every gift, God, every, everything they have, their time, their finances, everything, Jesus, would you help them to see the fullness of it so that they can give it to you. And Jesus, we pray that you would supernaturally bless it so that you can accomplish in it something disproportionate to what they would be able to do on their own. That people would look and say, it's been the supernatural hand of God blessing them that's facilitated this miracle. Jesus, I pray that for every hand that was raised, God, and for this whole church, for every person here, God, that we would take up that mantle of disciple-makers, that we would take of that call to go and to preach the gospel, to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus, of our king who has come. Jesus, that others, as we pray for them, God, that we would see the miraculous occur. Jesus, use everything we are for your glory and for the expansion of your kingdom. Jesus, would this room be filled over and over again, not by the people that we just invite in, but by the people that we've encountered outside of here and have led to the place of faith in you, Jesus. Jesus, let that be the anointing over this house. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to take communion together and the ushers are going to pass that out. And um, there's two cups stacked on top of each other. Just grab that and hold on to it and we'll take communion together after they've all been distributed. We practice open communion here. You don't have to be a partner at Radiant Church or this could be your first time. That's fine. You're welcome to. The only thing that we ask is that you be a believer. Uh, we believe this is something that the family does, those who follow after Jesus. If you're not at the point yet of where you've trusted Jesus to follow after him, you can just let the elements go by you. Nobody's going to look at you or think weird about you or anything. But we just believe this is something that God's called us, the believers, to do. So you can go ahead and grab those. Hold on to them and we'll take it together in just a minute.
1: I'm come to the heart of worship but it's all about you it's all about you jesus i'm sorry
0: Jesus was having his last meal with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that's broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. As we eat the bread this morning, we remember the broken body of Jesus. And then he took the wine. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. It's atones for all of your sins. It's what purifies you, makes you righteous before your Father. This is what changes everything. Drink this in remembrance of me. So this morning as we drink, we remember the blood of Jesus shed for us and everything it's accomplished. And Jesus, we remember This is a symbol of your body. It's a symbol of you gathering a family for yourself. In Jesus, this morning we commit to putting another chair at the table, to bringing someone else in, to sharing the meal with us. Jesus, give us the ability, supernaturally empowered, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. God, give us the eyes to see every opportunity that you give us. Jesus, would you pour out your blessing on our proclamation of the gospel? Jesus, that when people hear it, that something would happen inside of their hearts, that they would believe. God, not because of the way we explain it and not because of our words, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit who's been speaking to them and drawing them into you. Jesus, because of the way that they see your goodness, demonstrated Jesus. God, we pray that you would work this miracle that we get the honor of facilitating. But Jesus, we pray, by faith, we entrust ourselves to you. We trust you enough to go out and to do the thing that you've called us to do. Do mighty works in us for your glory and for the sake of our city. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. They're going to be in the front and the outside here. If there's anything we can pray with you about, we would love to do that. If you made a decision to follow after Jesus today or or to recommit to following after him, it's really important that you let someone know and there's a couple ways you can do that. First, I'd recommend come and talk to one of us. Uh, Tell us about it. We want to celebrate that with you. We have some resources we want to get you. If if you're not quite brave enough to come talk to someone on that uh, communication card on the back of it, there's a place where you can check that you made a decision and then we're able to follow up with you or you can even text in, I decided to 97,000. But it's so important if you made a decision today, uh, we want to help you. We want to hear your story. We want to come along and support you and to help see Jesus do just the absolute miraculous in your life. We want to help train and equip you to do the work of the church and following after Jesus. So let someone know. Come forward. Let us pray for you. We'll see you Thursday night for Pastor Abraham. God bless.